welcome to Kid You Not podcast episode 12. The one anniversary edition. <laughs> one anniversary. year. It's been one year, Lauren. And we have a very special anniversary present for you listeners. We do. We have Sita Brahmachari. Sita Brahmachari, you will... You will remember because we mention her in, in every single episode. <laughs> she won the 2011 Waterstones Children's Book Prize for her book Artichoke Hearts, which, yeah, we have we blogged about, we've eulogized, waxed lyrical about. <laughs> and if you, if you still haven't read it, read it. And um, her new book, Jasmine Skies, has been out for a few months now, and it's a sequel to Artichoke Hearts. And it's just as good. <laughs> So go and buy it as well. And Sita is with us today. And we're going to start, as usual, with a reading, but from her today, from uh, Jasmine Skies, which will introduce the theme of today's episode. Thank you so much. Um, well, I'll get reading then. And happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This is Mira, and uh, she's just arrived uh, in Calcutta. And she's done a really clever thing since Astro Hearts. In Astro Hearts, she was 12. And uh, in the year that it's taken me to write this book, she's grown by two years, so she's now 14 years old. And she's quite confident by the time she, um, uh, she's 14. And uh, she has decided that she wants to go on an adventure to see her cousin Priya in Calcutta. And she's delighted to be going without her parents and her family. But as soon as she arrives in Calcutta, she realises that she doesn't know quite as much as she thinks she did. As I look out of the window at the city skyscape, I wonder what Kolkata will be like. I've got a guidebook and I look some stuff up online, but the pictures that have stuck in my head are all from Grandad's stories. He brought the place alive for me, telling me about the streets around where he grew up, the food he ate and the people and places that were important to him. The strange thing is that Grandad's memories have become the most real thing about Kolkata for me, if that makes any sense at all. But his, his memories of Kolkata were of how it was over 30 years ago. So now that I'm actually here, looking out of the window at these high-rise flats and swanky new office blocks, it's a bit of a shock, because it doesn't look anything like how I imagined it through Grandad's eyes. One of the skyscrapers is for a huge telephone company. It makes me think of Nana Kath. If she suspects she's been called by someone in India, she always wants to chat. They'll be ringing to ask some marketing question and she starts by proudly telling them that her name's Chatterjee. And then they make the mistake of commenting on the name and she tells them all about how she and Grandad were married and that he was from Calcutta. She just launches into one. And after a while, you can always sense them desperately trying to find a way of ending the call. It makes me laugh because Nana Kath always has the last word. Well, actually, I think you'll find that you called me. What was it you wanted to ask me anyway? Me and Nanakath watched a programme once where a girl from a village just outside Delhi was being trained to work for one of those call centres. She had to learn to speak in a Yorkshire accent, just like Iris's. It showed the girl walking to work alongside some cows and cramming onto a crowded train heading for the city. She had a screen in front of her telling her what the weather in Matlock was like. She had to learn local knowledge about what cricket matches were on and even what a Yorkshire pudding was, though neither of us could work out how that would come in handy. I'm never fooled, Nana Kath said after the programme finished, because if you listen, there's always a little delay at the beginning of the call that gives the game away. A tiny pause that says, this is pretend. And pretending's not a real connection. I think she was right. It seems like the weirdest way of being connected 
people pretending to be who they're not and where they're not in order to make someone trust them more. Thank you very much, Sita. <laughs> it's my pleasure. <laughs> so what we're going to discuss today really is the representation of like in Artichoke Hearts and in, and in Jasmine's Skies, of families that are from many different backgrounds, mm. from many different cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds, ethnicities. And um, so like in the first one, Artichoke Hearts live in London. And in the second one, go back um, to their roots, which to a country that in the case of Mira, she's never actually seen. Yeah. A common criticism of literature for children, especially in Britain, is that it's predominantly white, has very little, it doesn't really reflect the multicultural nature of British society. And one of the very interesting things about Sita's books is that the multiculturalism is part of the setting, it's normalised, it's in the background, it's not the issue behind the novels. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think for me it's just such a natural part of my storytelling because um, being of mixed heritage background, my mum is from the Lake District, um, as, as I visit in Artichoke Hearts, and, um, and my dad was from Calcutta, as I visit in Jasmine Skies. And so it's just a very, very natural part of my identity. But also, before I was writing these books, um, I, was, uh, I, wrote, I worked in theatre education, and I worked mostly in, I worked in schools up and down the country, really. But I would, what I would do is I'd work with a theatre company and then I would bring uh, the plays to young people in schools. So for years, I was talking to young people about how they brought their own culture and identity to their dramatic practice, if you like, or to their storytelling. And so really, um, it was my interest um, uh, as a kind of educator, really. That, mm. And I find that in response to my work, when I go out to schools and I talk about Artichette Hearts and Jasmine Skies, the, the young readers really love the fact that the characters are from diverse backgrounds. And um, I went to a school in Hackney not very long ago where the girls were saying, they were mostly African girls, they were saying that uh, Jude Jackson was the first Rwandan character that, it, that they'd read in British literature. So Jude is uh, Mira's boyfriend in the first um, book, Artichoke Hearts, and also throughout the second book. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, can you explain a little bit actually about, about Jude? Can you, can you talk about his yeah. character? So I mean, Artichoke Hearts predominantly is a story about love, and um, one theme of it is the loss of a, a wonderful grandmother and the relationship between Mira and her wonderful grandmother, Nana Josie. But another uh, theme of the book is that while, while Mira is losing her beloved grandmother, she's also a schoolgirl in London, you know, living her life in a very ordinary way. And part of that life is, is um, going to a very diverse London school. And Jude Jackson's a boy in her class. But enter um, an amazing writing tutor who works with a small group of students. And she starts to, through the writing process, she starts to get to know Jude Jackson um, quite well. And he's one of those boys with quite a lot of attitude. Um, I always say when I go to work in schools, he would, he'd be the kind of boy that probably would give me a lot, a lot of jip. Um, but... Uh, going back to the to the symbol of the artichoke hearts, he's a boy with a very well protected heart mm-hmm. um, because he's lost uh, both his mother and father in the Rwandan genocide. Mm-hmm. And so, part of the process of the book is t- for Mira to unpeel the kind of tough outer layers of Jude Jackson's heart, and for them to really see each other and to. Um, fall in love which is what they do so when you decide if you decided or not I don't know but when you represent all these different um, ethnicities and religious and cultural backgrounds um, what 
what is very striking about your books is that it's you know it's, it's natural and, and normal it's presented mm. as absolutely normalized I wonder what you think of books that will on the other hand problematize these different um, the sort of clash of identities mm. that can happen um, so ballet, nowadays a lot of Bally Rice books focus on the clash between mm. his Asian West Midlands yeah. heritage with West with Western mm. attitudes and the problems that second and third generation immigrants have in mm. reconciling their own experiences mm. of Western life with their parents' cultural expectations of them. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a very, that is a, that is absolutely um, a strand of the uh, migrant story mm. and first generation, second generation story. Um, but I think that that is a different experience, the one that you're talking about, to to perhaps the one that I, I've had myself and therefore the one that I'm focusing on. Um, and I, I think also, as a storyteller, I start with symbol rather than... Less, my poor editor probably hates this, but <laughs> I start with something I, sort of, something I think I want to write about. And I think as a writer, I sort of meander around what I'm writing about for quite a long time. And so it's never just about one thing. And um, I don't think that I would set out to write a book which was about sort of uh, racism or, or just one kind of conflict. Um, so I just think it's not really my approach, but I think those stories are incredibly important to tell. And um, I think this is what is so exciting about uh, young adult publishing now, is instead of having that thing where... You know, you have Bali Rai, who's a wonderful, wonderful writer, um, being kind of the person who's writing about this. You've got a marketplace which is opening up where you've got lots of writers who are writing different angles. Mm -hmm. um, for anyone who's listening, that noise that is happening in the background is my new puppy, Ringo Starr. <laughs> Eating who... my new Oliver Bonas bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that point brings us very nicely on to something that I actually heard Bali Rice say mm. at a children's book circle mm. talk last year. He thinks um, a common or repeated refrain mm. when the lack of diversity in children's literature mm. comes up is that the majority of people that buy children's books are white middle class and the majority of readers are white middle class and that's, that's why mm. um, it's just a self-fulfilling thing that that's why publishing houses make books for that audience. He, um, Bally Rice said that his theory is that the reason that that is the case is because that isn't any literature that reflects the experiences of more culturally diverse yeah. things. Do you, mm. do, do you think that is true? or I think the publishers are very keen to publish work by writers who, have, who, have, who wish to explore that. And I think the reason why publishers are keen to do that is because they know that there's a market out there. I mm. mean, in terms of um, the biggest growing population in this country in terms of heritage it's not just one heritage but it's the mixed heritage so it's it's a massive market every time i go to a school they say they love for example they love mira because you know she's she, like them she's yeah. like them um, in many ways and she's like many of them i mean you know because because they you know even if they're from sort of african background or caribbean background mixed mixed heritage they absolutely relate to her i say to them i say to them you know who would like to go and see their family with, um, elsewhere in the world and i say where are they from and they're caribbean or africa or france or algeria or whatever and uh and I'll say, yeah, and, the, and, and they'll say, yeah, because that's part of our heritage. They completely get the mixed heritage 
character and they want more in fact they want they want another mirror story but um... yeah, please. <laughs> yeah please do. we do too we need a green one because there's a blue book and a red book and I know a green book and then a, a yellow book and a little if we uh, come from the point of view of uh, children's literature criticism, yeah. uh, the thing is, um, the way it works is I'm the children's literature yeah. critic and, and Lauren's the publisher critic. <laughs> okay. yeah. um, so we're sort of a good cop back. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that is often talked about with the representation of multiculturalism in children's book is that there, it's, it's, a, it's a no-win situation, basically, because the idea is that either you do what J.K. Rowling does, which is to call to name drop. So if someone is called Seamus Finnegan, someone is yeah. called Parvati Patil, someone is yeah. called Cho Chang, Cho Chang, etc. You name drop, but you don't go in depth into it. That, mm. that normalizes the fact that Hogwarts is a multicultural school, but it's, you know, but there's aren't any of the characters. superficial mm. sort of yeah. level. Or you um, insist on, you know, on, on making that very explicit and therefore you make it not normal, not natural. Mm. You, sort of, yeah. you sort of show that you're making an effort. And I'm sure publishers and editors very often try to encourage this kind of thing and and you know might want some characters to be from one ethnicity or another mm. so it seems like in terms of criticism it's always a no-win situation because Rowling would have been criticized if all the kids had been called Dawson and Smith yeah. but at the same time she is criticized because she's just name dropping uh, I would never place a character in a in a story for a kind of tokenistic reason as in just to kind of show that it was a, a, a multicultural school for mm. example or whatever but because I, because I'm interested in those characters, they would be, they would be among the main characters. They would have a history. Yeah, and then yeah. That, that's all. Because for me, in a way, that's about the fabric of the story. Because you know, I'm interested in those things in, in my first two books. In the third book, again, I don't want to give away too much about it, but you know, it's going to have a mixed race character with um, a Caribbean, mm-hmm. Caribbean and English mm-hmm. background. And just because I'm interested in in what that brings in terms of story and where, and I think where that places you. That's yeah. fascinating because one of the issues we were talking about and that you've had discussed a lot in your experience as a children's literature scholar, haven't you, is that um, somehow white authors aren't allowed to, for example, to mm. write about cultural experiences mm. that they haven't had or in your case you're going to write about Caribbean experience and that's not mm. part of your no. heritage. I'm completely against that mm. and mm. It's, it's very exciting that you've said that you think you can do it from placing yourself in the their shoes and mm. imagining. Well, also, I mean, that is the job of a writer. Mm. That it's absolutely. I mean, you know, if you take that argument long enough, then far enough, then you know, women can't write male characters. Mm. Yeah, male men, exactly. men can't. Write. So you, was... you know, you're going to go. You've got to take the argument to the end of the line. I think it's part of the process of writing. I think I do feel for writers who kind of feel a pressure in a way to, to place characters in their. I don't, I don't know many authors that do, but say that they they didn't feel for some reason that they were able to do that. But I feel I, you know, that's yeah, a problem. I think. I think um, the problem is no one is actually a monolithic person. No. Everyone has a, mm. a heritage made of you know tensions mm. and ambiguities and everything. Um, but it, but yeah, it is true to a degree. To what extent do these representations have to be biographical, autobiographical? Mm. Um, you would say they don't. No, they don't. They don't. They don't. I mean, I think possibly to bring another character from a different background. To as your central character, maybe that does need more confidence, and maybe writing these first two books has given me 
the confidence to step into that. Which is, I mean, to a certain extent, what happens in Jasmine Skies that's really interesting is that we get um, a, a vision of Mira there, who is the Westerner in mm. a way, and who feels, I mean, sometimes she feels uncomfortable or a bit almost guilty at what, at what she sees in Kolkata, even though she um, she feels part of it through, as you read earlier, her granddad's memories mm. and what she's heard about it. She realizes as she goes there that all she had was some sort of symbolic sense of belonging, but actually in order to achieve a physical or real geographical uh, sense of belonging, she has to go through very intense emotional and, and intellectual re realizations there. Uh, that, I think that's absolutely right. I think the, uh, what the grandmother says is, is she, she asks, she says, and that's not a real connection at the end of that passage mm. that I read. I think the whole book is really about what is a connection mm. with, your, with your cultural heritage and your identity and your history. And with space as well, because there's the mm. space in the mind, but the real space in which you walk, the, the tangible streets that you walk down and the, the real buildings that you go into. And, and, and that space there has a, has a value which just the mind and just representations cannot achieve. No, that, that's, that's right. And how difficult that is, that, that, that journey, and how ambivalent you feel on that journey um, compared to a kind of much more kind of halcyon idea of, oh, yes, you know, my grandfather's Indian and this is what I like about Indian culture. So the real engagement is a, is a much more complex one, which is why I created the character of Priya. <laughs> Mm. Who, who is so it? Priya is, the, is Mira's cousin, uh, who is an incredibly vibrant, energetic uh, dancer, um, who in many ways is more Western than Mira, yeah. uh, because she she has this um, identity that she's trying to gain from music, from uh, from. You can imagine her reading magazines and stuff like that, and you know, being more English than the English. Well, the thing about the thing, the thing that I liked about playing with Priya was the idea of you know, Mira has skyped her cousin a few times. She thinks she knows who she is, and uh, then she arrives in India, and there is her cousin with her you know, newly shorn, dip dyed red hair, mm. um, her converse, her skinny jeans, and yeah, she is a Katak traditional Indian dancer, but she's also a dubstep DJ working out of derelict houses in old Calcutta. <laughs> and um, because her mother, Anjali, convenient, conveniently for me, because her mother, Anjali, is uh, working so hard at the children's refuge, she more or less, <laughs> <laughs> she more or less has the run of the city and so can take uh, Mira, uh, Mira on uh, some amazing adventures and some quite dangerous adventures mm. as well. <laughs> um, but but her, her relationship, really, I wanted this... Uh, I wanted to explore this relationship between cousins of the same age um, because and, and in different generations. So although that, the cousins Mira and Priya are explored, also the cousins Anjali yes. and Uma, who are who's Mira's mother mm -hmm. and Priya's mother, is also explored. So the fact that it was... That, that, that journey to connection was difficult for both generations. Yeah, and there's a lot of fluidity between the different generations and history repeats itself, but mm. not quite. And, mm. and people find each other's letters and people you know, step into each other's clothes. And there's, there's a lot of exchange there and, and the houses as well. There's a lot of exchange, physical exchanges between uh, these different generations as if this sense of cultural identity and, and history and genealogy couldn't, couldn't be just transmitted through words, etc. It goes through much more complex process of um, in, in, you know, intruding upon each other's space and mm. privacy. Uh, absolutely. And I think there's a scene in the story where Mira is um, sitting on the Howrah Bridge, which is a very, the very famous um, bridge in Calcutta. And uh, it's, it's a bridge which is made without any nuts or bolts. And um, her, her, 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this makes a dog really sad. <laughs> yes. Her, gran- her, her, um, her grandfather's sister um, says, Lila, she says, um, you know, this bridge is like, is like our family. It, it, it is, it's this extraordinary bridge. And uh, your grandfather has, has, has built this bridge between our countries, and now it's up to us to walk from one side to, to another. Um, but it's, you know, we might not even have a language to speak to each other across this bridge, but we're still family. And so really that's what Mira's exploring in mm-hmm. the story. But that's not, it's, not a, it's not an easy journey. It's a journey that's full of ambivalence um, right across the generations, not just in the one. And the idea, she starts to really think about what must it have been like for her grandfather's family when he left and came to England and married an Englishwoman. And, and what did he think of um, Uma... Uh, being born and, and, and him never going back to India um, to live permanently. So she starts to really think of the story from the Indian side rather than always from um, the English side. So that, that's also mm. an interesting moment in, as, in a rites of passage book where you kind of turn life on your head and you, kind of, you start to really understand life through uh, another civilization's eyes. So um, I, one, another question, I guess, that stems from this is the sense of cultural responsibility. The responsibility that you have once you have identified yourself as belonging to a culture. Um, and I think Mira goes through this. I mean, she, um, um, she develops a sense of responsibility towards it, a sense of um, uh, she has to take part in um, safeguarding and, and helping people there and she does mm. so sometimes clumsily, sometimes guiltfully, sometimes she's not comfortable with, with it but there is almost a sense that if you truly belong, if you truly feel that you belong to a culture then you have this responsibility to you know, give some of your time for it and I think that's quite an interesting message in, in, a, in a time where we might want to superficially mm. identify ourselves as of dual heritage or coming from this country and that but not really actually taking the time to realise that with it comes responsibility towards it. And I think the moment in the book where that's most illustrated is where she, she's got, um, she's got you know, four or five weeks off school and the reason why she's got the time off school is because she said to the school that she's going to work in her Aunt Angelie's refuge, children's refuge. And um, you know, when she sets out she's thinking, oh great, I've got five weeks yes. off school and yeah, I've said I'll teach a bit of art. And that's as far as it gets. And then she's suddenly there in this refuge with children from the age of five months old wailing to sort of grown boys who are, you know, like the spitting boy character in my book who, who are looking at her and thinking, how dare you come here and try and teach me, who's lived all my life on the street, anything, let alone art. And there she is and she has to teach a lesson. And suddenly it's one of those moments that she'll never forget in her life because suddenly her mettle is tested and um, she has to sort of go beyond whether she's kind of a nervous London girl and she actually, she has to do something. And there's a, there's a moment that when I was writing that scene, I, I thought, of course, um, because, you know, for her, art is a, is a leisure activity and um, she's, she's a great artist, Mira. And, um, but she's, you know, if a piece of work doesn't, artwork doesn't work out, you know, she, she'll bin it mm-hmm. and, and all the materials that have gone into making that well, she's got the money, so or her family's got the money, so, they, so it's a shame, but the piece of artwork didn't turn out. And then she suddenly realises that every single piece of work that's made at the refuge has to be sold in the shop. It has to have an actual physical value. And really, I think what she learns by working in that refuge is that she knows absolutely nothing. And um, one of the, she, she asks the children in the refuge to write... Uh, to make wishes for their future lives, which is a really good premise for a project. Um, but Spitting Boy, who is the kind of 
16-year-old boy that really resents her. He writes a wish, and his wish is, um, I wish that I could write a wish. So she, she, she assumes so much about those children. I mean, not least that the 16-year-old boy would, would have a, a general level of literacy, which he might not if he'd been brought up in the street. Mm. So she, it's, a real, it's a real learning process for her, but it isn't just about her, as you said, it's about what she can actually do. So I think the idea of actually doing something is something I really wanted to explore in the book. Yeah, you were t- talking earlier, to bring us slightly mm. away from mm-hmm. your books, you were talking earlier how yet yeah, now really is a... Not golden age, but we are getting much more representation of multiculturalism mm-hmm. in British literature. I do remember being a teenager, and the only choices were Mallory Blackman or Valerie or mm-hmm. Beverly Nigel, yeah. and that was it. There was nothing else. They're pretty good choices. They are pretty <laughs> they good wonderful choices. Writers, yeah. But don't you think mm. that's quite yeah, yeah. Um, indicative of itself in that only exceptional books depicting that sort of, um, well, depicting diversity of cultures were. Published. I mean, with my children, I mean, I've got um, a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old and a 7-year-old. I mean, obviously, I do expose them to lots of books which, which would have that, but not really as an issue, and it's not that difficult for me to find, those, to find some of those books. But they, 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 it's their expectation. It's just not just, just their expectation in literature, but it's their expectation in music. It's their, all the mediums that, they, that they're interested in, that, that there is representation. They notice it, but they don't notice it at the mm. same time. Which is ideally what you yeah. want to achieve, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah that's and right. You notice it because there is authenticity and coherence yeah. in the characters, and there is this background of history that the mm. writers worked on, but perhaps in their mind, and it's not there on the page, but you can read. You it's, not just, it's not headlined, mm. absolutely not headlined. But, um, but I, I, think, I think there is a huge amount more available now than I mean certainly from when when I was you know I'm 46 so when I was young there was very little so obviously Mm. you've spoken about um people um here or students at school that have really identified with the characters Mm. been so pleased to find someone that has a heritage Mm. more like their own what exactly do you think it is that um is, makes that so important. Well, a lot... I mean, I've just been, been on a schools tour with Jasmine Skynes, and I have to say, it has been hilarious how many um, girls of Asian origin um, have come up to me and said, thank you so much for creating the character of Priya. Because we are always either, you know, the child of a doctor, which actually I am, <laughs> whose parents make them work really, really hard at school... <laughs> Or really just clever with glasses and sitting in the library. Or, you know, you've seen the, you've seen the, the bit parts. Yeah. So thank you for making, a, making Priya bigger and bolder than, any, you know, than, than, than yeah. any, anyone sort of could have imagined. And she's not square. <laughs> <laughs> she's not just being a good girl yeah. following her parental kind of path. And uh, they love that character. Um, I researched the character Priya with, with the DJ um, Nihal. Oh. who's a BBC Radio 1 DJ and, and BBC Asian Network. When I say that, you know, the, the kids are like... Yeah, ah. I bet they are. Yeah, because, you know, I say, do you think I know anything about dubstep? And they go, no. <laughs> and I go, actually, <laughs> I do, because I've researched it with Niha. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, so it's quite an interesting thing, talking about research, how, yeah, I, I probably am not into dubstep, although I quite like it a little bit more than I did when I first started research. But I think what they like is that you know, the characters are connected to a wider world. So, yes, Sita has created the character of Priya. 
slightly out of maybe her cousin was an Indian dancer but then she's invented this dubstep DJ thing but then that's not come from nowhere because there's people like Nihal who are into dubstep it's part of a connected world that they're also part of yeah so it's not just that it's reflective of their own experience it's also that it opens up the world beyond perhaps Mm. what we could call stereotypes or existing conceptions of a particular culture and it not only opens the world up to them it opens the world up to other readers to think, oh, for example, not all Asian girls are. It's, yeah. it's all about, I mean, it, it seems to be, we're, we're going back to mm. authenticity all the time. It's actually showing the complexity of characters mm. Mm. who, uh, f- you know, on whom a lot of work has been done and a lot mm. of background information is in the mind of the writer. And even if you don't have access to that information, yeah. you know that it's there and it's there for a reason. Yes, it's all, it's all placed, in, placed in there very, very, very carefully. But I also think writing about a changing world is really interesting because you know when I think about my cousins for example you know India is developing hugely you know uh, at a rate that is quite extraordinary and they are very very educated my um, my cousins will sometimes call from Heathrow Airport and say oh we've been in New York we're coming through they're working for some computer company somewhere are coming through can you drop in and I think oh no I can't because I've got the dog to walk and I've got my children mm. and I will sometimes feel like I live in the village so I think maybe what we've learned from this episode is that by multiculturalism we actually mean authenticity and yeah the and truth and truth it's, it's just another facet of literary truth uh, really and yeah another facet of life today and I think that those that, that, that we you know that it's the characters who are in our world quite mm. simply it's the characters in our world and it's the stories of the people uh, who are in our world and, and in its increasing complexity which as a storyteller is interesting Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you very much time. for time. My pleasure. Yeah, we'll see you in a month's time for our next episode. Don't forget to follow us on iTunes. Or on Twitter, at KidYouNotPod. Comment on our blog, KidYouNotPodcast.com. Or email us on KidYouNotPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, and see you next month. Bye. Bye.